Victoria College is a public, open admission college. Our mission is to provide educational opportunities and services for our students and the communities we serve. For more information, please visit us at www.victoriacollege.com to schedule your tour. Welcome in to episode 69 of The Grid, the show that is keeping its New Year's resolutions Mike, I've only broken mine like twice, and we're on day we're on day four of the new year. So fifty percent, we're off. You know, if this was baseball, I'd be you know I'd be the greatest hitter ever. A lot of basketball in the show today. We are in the full swing of basketball season. Mike and I are at multiple games a week now, so it's that time of the year for us basketball season. We're also going to talk a little bit of college football. Some of our area athletes just had their seasons wrap up. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But we're going to start on the hardwood Tuesday night. Mike, you were in Yoakum for Hallettsville Yoakum Girls Basketball, and Lady Brahma is ranked in the top ten, ranked in the top 20 of the girls' coaches poll, and they uh, put together an impressive win Tuesday night. Yeah, they, they have uh, quite a few players back from last season, and uh, they looked pretty good the other night. Um, Yoakum is very athletic. Uh, but has trouble scoring the ball, and uh, that hurt them. But uh, I, I thought uh, Hallettsville played a good game. They're very balanced. They have a number of players who can score, and I was uh, really impressed with Macy Herring in the post. Uh, she's got a lot better from last year, and uh, she does a good job rebounding the ball. That's an interesting district Hallettsville's in over there where, you, you know, Hallettsville's ranked – Columbus is another team that's ranked there in that district. And then Edna is a team that's one of the better teams in the area there in that district as well. And Edna's actually beaten Columbus earlier this season. So that's a fun – I mean, that's just a fun district over there in 3A. Yeah, it should be fairly – I think it would be a really competitive district. Uh, that may be a district where you don't have one team that dominates. Yeah. You know, you may have every team – with a loss or two. Where everyone just kind of beats each yeah. other and you, you end up with a tie or potentially three-way tie for the district championship just with the competitiveness of that district. And, you know, that's something that's really exciting because we see so often in so many sports, or especially basketball, where, like, one player can have an outsized impact where it's just one team is so dominant because one player is so dominant mm-hmm. running through the district. So when you get these competitive districts where it's like, man, the, the matchups and things like that matter, it, it becomes a lot of fun. When you were in Yoakum, I stayed home in Victoria. Went to the Dome over at St. Joseph. Watched that. Watched them Tuesday night. They picked up their first district win. And I want. I'll say this for St. Joseph. I thought. Uh, I think their coach MJ Johnson is doing a pretty good job with them. He's ha- he has them well drilled. It's clear they they come they come into these games with a game plan, and it's one that they that I think they do a pretty good job. Uh, that they do a pretty good job of executing. Here, give me one second, because I'm totally blanking on the point guards. <laughs> I'm blanking on the point guard's name, but I'm pretty sure I wrote her name in here. Bella Mikis, there we go. And it's not just the game plan execution. I I was impressed with their point guard, Bella Mikis, who's only a sophomore. And something Johnson said to me after the game, they're, you know, they're 0-1 in district coming in. They're playing a team in St. Anthony who had been – they were second place in district a year ago, returned quite a bit. And Johnson was talking to his point guard and telling her, hey, you're only a sophomore. Don't, you know, because she's hard on herself. Like, don't put all this on yourself. Looks coach in the eye and says, coach, I don't want 
me being a sophomore to be an excuse. And she came out, answered the bell, 19, 19 points, 19 of the team's 40 points, led the team to a big win, controlling the pace, making several big plays late in the game. So St. Joseph, they, they have a target. They wanted to hit 20 wins this season. They're already at 17, so now their eyes are on a little above that. They won five games in district last season. They want to exceed that total. That's one of the goals they have this year. So the, the Lady Flyers are, you know, they're making strides, making improvements. A pretty young team, but they, uh, they're they coming along a little bit. Also, in Victoria, East boys in action Tuesday afternoon. You know, we, you know, schools are on break. We get these afternoon games. They beat Corpus Christi King in a zone crossover game, 45-32. East, again, right now, defensively, the versatility they have is there. But talking to Coach Almanza this week, he's like, man, offensively, we got some things to figure out. And we'll t- talk more about that here in a little bit. The West boys, in a rematch of last year's district championship game, they went down to Flower Bluff in Corpus Christi, lost to Flower Bluff by 19, talked to Coach McDonald this week. That's actually a game they were leading by four going into the half, felt pretty good, and he said second half, he said he, he doesn't even think they played poorly. Flower Bluff just came out and hit shots, and that's one of the things that, you know, you can play really good defense, get the hand up, do everything right. If a team's hitting shots, they're hitting shots, and that can, you know, that can just be the name of the game. So East and West playing this Friday. That's one we're excited excited for. West girls played were in North Zone action this week. They lost to Gregory Portland and I talked to Coach Rankin Williams this week and she was, you know, Victoria West, the girls are a really young team. Zay, uh, Zay Morgan, a freshman point guard, she's really kind of the star of the show over there. But when you have when you have such a young team, you're going to get it's, you know, it's going to be a, a peaks and valleys with a young yeah. team. You're going to get you know, great performance one night and a bad performance the other night. So she had said, you know, I expected so much more. But actually, I almost think this bodes well for West ahead of their game against East because now they're going to go in this rivalry game kind of in wounded animal mode. So I think you get a, you know, after a substandard performance against Gregory Portland, you may be getting the, you know, the best version of them Friday night against East. But that's kind of the wrap up of the area basketball action from Tuesday night. We're going to throw it to White Trash Services, hear a message from them. Then we're going to talk about what's to come Friday night, because Friday night, a big night of basketball here in, here in the Crossroads, and we can't wait for it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm joined by BJ Nelson. BJ, White Trash Services, what is it, and, and, and what do you all do? Well, thank you for asking. We gather trash in the counties around the Crossroads area. We've been in business for eight years, and we have dumpster, trash can, and roll-off companies. And, you know, y'all are y'all are big advocates for, for sports throughout the Crossroads region. Just what makes y'all want to sponsor uh, all, all high school sports throughout the Victoria area? High school sports are amazing. One, they keep kids out of trouble. It teaches them about character, teaches them about right and wrong, uh, how to do better in life. You learn a lot of life skills in sports and especially football. And how can someone get a hold of White Trash Services to start their service, rent a roll-off, or apply to be a part of your team? You can give us a call at 361 550-1826. I have a team of ladies that answer the phone and gentlemen. So give us a call anytime, 8 to 5 during the day, and uh, we'd be happy to visit with you about any of those things. Ah! 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 
All right, we are back. Episode 69 of The Grid. And Mike, it's the battle for the boot, but not really. We're on the bas- we're on the basketball court this week. Mike's shaking his head over there. I wish y'all could see the visual that I'm getting <laughs> that I'm getting right that I'm getting right now. Um East West East West girls are are in action. They're I mean East West boys and girls playing each other. Girls are playing at Victoria West. East is going over to West. Mike, you will have that one this season. You you've been able to see East this year and Yolanda Wimbush North, she's got a she's got a team she really likes this season. Yeah, she does. She's got uh, both the uh, guard play that she likes along with an inside game. So that that helps a lot. Uh, you know, knowing her and Coach LaHudney, her assistant, I mean, uh, they're never satisfied. But uh, and they they talked about wanting to play better defense than they have, and I, I'm sure that's something they'll be uh, be talking about all season. But I I actually was uh, pretty impressed from my first time to see them um, after remember what I saw the year before. Um, they, they've taken some big strides. I think, of course, like you mentioned, a lot of that's just experience yeah. being on the court. And uh, that's, that's what impressed me. I'll be curious to see uh, – how the experience handle helps them handle a hostile environment because you know you go to your rival's mm-hmm. gym it's always uh you never know really what to expect yeah this is one for east where i think i think it helps them because they have four senior starters and you know every valentine's a sophomore but she played a lot of basketball last season so she's not your typical green yeah. sophomore she's she's kind of been there done that despite her young age I think that that age, that experience, it's really going to help Victoria East because at all these games, these big rivalry games, at some point you got to settle in and it becomes just a basketball game. It becomes competition. Now, I know for East, they're excited about – for these seniors, it's the last time they play at Victoria West. So, you, you know, kind of leave your mark in that one. But the experience, having played a lot – this group has not just played a lot of basketball. They've played a lot of basketball together. Like, they, they're very cohesive. And that that's the thing that's – stood out to me about Victoria East is this team just even very early in the season everyone knows their role everyone knows what they're supposed to do there's no uh, no one's running into each other it's all everything's kind of moving the way it's supposed to move and so they played a lot of they played a lot of games together so I think they'll be able hostile environment big game city rival last time at their gym playing against them I think they're going to be able to settle into this one pretty quickly and I think East just kind of the way it's worked out for them with this group they have you know they have two point they have two guards really two point guards who work well off each other and Avery Valentine and Sonia Randall they got two long versatile wings who I really like they have a few different options uh, on the post inside I, I like the makeup of this Victoria East team and you had mentioned that how well do they handle the emotions West is almost going in the opposite direction where like, they have a younger team and their coach, Christina Rankin-Williams, she wants them to, like, use that emotion. Let that fuel them. Like, hey, let's go let's go and play our best game of the season. One of the terms she uses, nothing to lose, which is, you know, West is aware they're the underdog in this matchup. East is one of the, if not the favorite, in, you know, in this district or in this zone. But West, like... They, they think they can compete. They have some young talent. We, I mentioned Zay Morgan in the last segment. She's one of the, you know, one of the best, not just freshmen, but really just one of the best players in this area. They have some good complimentary players like Charlie Scott, who 
plays kind of a similar role for West to what Nevaeh Ron Hell does for East, kind of a do-it-all player. So I think this is this is one where West is, I mentioned it last segment, they're kind of in wounded animal mode. I think we're going to get the best version of them on Friday night against their rival. Yeah, we could. You just never know. And, uh, you know, I know you'll be over at the East Gym watching yeah. the boys play. And uh, anyone who's ever witnessed uh East-West boys game knows uh, – you know, there's it's hard to predict what will happen. Yeah, I talk I talked to both coaches this week and it's it's an interesting this is an interesting dynamic this game because West says you know, West won the Mike Smith classic. They're playing better right now. If you were you know, that you would mark them as the favorites and West last year was a more successful program than East overall. But East went two and zero against them last year. And so there there's kind of that mental gap of Man, can we can we go and beat these guys? Like we we haven't been able to beat these guys in a while. Can we go and beat the team on their side of the floor, even if you maybe believe you're better than them? Now I talked about this on the last podcast where I think a lot of people are gonna look at this game and say, Oh, well, East went two and two at Mike Smith. They were playing in the in the seventh place game and West won the championship, so they're obviously just so much better than East. And I don't necessarily believe that's the case. And Watching the two teams play four games, you know, each. So I watched them eight times last week. You start just thinking, okay, how's this matchup? How's this matchup going to go? Like, what what can East take advantage of from West? What can West take advantage of against East? And I think I talked about it in my preview for this one, which is on the Victoria Advocate website right now. East size and versatility in the backcourt, Braden Cates, Nigel Prater, Braylon Vasquez, they're all about 6'1". They're all lanky. They're all really, really athletic. How will West, West strength their team, I believe, is their backcourt as well. The Sean Meddy, Bo Woods, Alejandro Gonzalez, they're three returners. They're three, you know, they're three leaders on this team. They don't, they're not as big and athletic as the East trio. How do they deal with that size and athleticism there and, East, I think there's a, I think there's an athletic advantage for East where they can, you know, the way co- their head coach Ralph Almanza put it was, we want to ugly the game up, we want to get in their face and, you know, ugly it up, not let West get into their rhythm. So it's going to be, it's an interesting stylistic clash where West is going to try to be really pretty. They're trying to get up and down the floor, really play a, a clean, pretty, attractive brand of basketball. And if they're able to do that, East is going to have a really, really tough time. East with their athletes, can they impose their athleticism and physicality against West and really make this game kind of a knockdown, drag out fight? I'm interested to see that dynamic play out. And does East, they, Coach Almanza over there certainly believes that they have not become the best version of themselves yet. Do they, if this game is close as it goes on, knowing how well West has played this, you know, in the last couple weeks this season? Does East start to grow in self-belief? And, hey, do they start figuring some things out? Do things start clicking? I'm interested to see the dynamic in this one just because East beat them twice last year. And I do believe there's a little bit of a mental hurdle there when you've been over the last few years a more successful program. But it's like, gosh, we can't get over this one hurdle. So I'm really intrigued by this game because the teams are so different. I think that makes for a fun matchup. Yeah, and uh, as we talked about earlier, this is one thing – I understand the district plays at opposite sides, but uh, it's kind of a shame that uh, both these teams are playing at the same time in opposite gyms. Yeah. Um, 
Obviously, it's going to make the parking situation a lot easier, <laughs> which we know. But, uh, you know, I, I think fans of both schools would like to see both the boys' and girls' teams play. And um, maybe in the future they can uh, look at playing on different yeah. nights, perhaps. You know, if they I know back-to-back can be difficult. Yeah. But it maybe play a different night or something. I mean, uh, I mean, just strictly looking at it financially, I think you're going to have a bigger gate, you know, if you do that on both sides. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, you know, this is the way it is, and uh, they'll play it out. Yeah, you're kind of you're splitting the student body in half. You're splitting the support in half. I mean, both games are slated to start, you know, six fifteen, six thirty. So there's no way you can really be at both is out I don't know if back to back is something they really want to do but to get in the sub varsity you get you get yeah. in the, what do you do about that but it is I'm with you you got to find a way for the boys and girls to play different nights because it's go what it's going to do is going to take away from the atmosphere yeah. you mentioned the gate it takes away from the atmosphere at both games because you're you're just splitting the fan base in half is what you're doing and that's exactly what you don't want to do you want this to be kind of the main event going on in town in the area and with both teams playing at the same time it's it's not uh it's not feasible you can't really do that speaking of being the main event mike this has been our topic of discussion all week there's so many great basketball games this friday night that we can't get to we have a top five showdown in flatonia on friday night flat shiner at flatonia girls basketball Flatonia's ranked four, Shiner's ranked five, two of the top five teams in the state in 2A, and that's one, I mean, that two of the best teams, That that's an exciting, exciting matchup out there in Flatonia. Yeah, both those teams uh, have done very well. Of course, Flatonia was Summer Sodak, one of the top players in the state, yeah. actually. And Shiner has a really good group, very athletic group. Uh, Tall athletic group. Yeah, and they, I mean, you could see it last year that you could kind of look and see that this was coming. And uh, so that that's going to be uh, interesting. Of course, they'll meet up again in Shiner. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but this, I guess, will be the, the way to establish the early favorite. Yeah. Yeah, not just, you know, early favorite in that district and potentially early favorite in the region as well as you go, you know, Flatonia, didn't they make it to state last year? Or? The boys the, did. Yeah. The, the girls, uh, they, they didn't do as well, but that they, they, they've gotten better, obviously. and uh, Well, I mean, more experienced team this year. Yeah, and uh, so this it's, it's an interesting matchup. Uh, you know, I'm curious to see. Uh, and, of course, you know, you're always going to have Weimer there. Ganado's playing better. Um, so this this is a good competitive district. The two the two A sports in our coverage area are really really good, and that makes our jobs a lot of fun. But it's like it's a shame we can't get out there to that one just because we have the, you know, we just wish some of these games could be spread out a little bit yeah. so we can get to every single one. Another one, uh, Quero and Lavernia. Quero, one of the better teams in our area. Lavernia, one of the better girls teams in the state. They're playing out in Quero uh, Friday night, and that's another one that's a you know potential district championship decider. Yeah, no doubt. In fact, when I spoke to uh, Amy Crane before the year, when uh, we were talking, she told me, she said, you might want to come out for a Lavernia game because that will probably be the uh, best matchup yeah. in district. And uh, we'll see. Quero girls have done real well. They played well so far. And I'm, I'm still kind of kicking myself, though. Uh, before last Saturday night when UCLA and USC played, yeah. I was thinking of texting Amy and uh, – 
making a little side bet there with her on the Trojans and uh, the women of Troy, I should say, and the Bruins. And uh, I would have come out on top on that bet, but uh, I missed my opportunity. Yeah, you you missed a chance there, Mike. And we got one more great girls basketball game Friday night, Columbus at Hallettsville. And those are, Mike, you just saw Hallettsville the other night, and Columbus is a team who's ranked. And we were talking about that district a minute ago, those two teams along with Edna, that being a really competitive district. Edna beat Columbus, you know, back in early December in district play about a month ago. And now Columbus and Hallettsville is playing tonight. And that kind of for both teams or playing tomorrow night for both teams, that's a must win over there. Cause for Columbus, you can't, you don't want to drop to two of the big rivals early on in the season. And for Hallettsville, this is your home game against Columbus. So you feel like, man, this is kind of a must win for us. If we want to stay alive in this district championship race. Yeah, definitely for Hallettsville home game, you want to defend your home court at all costs. So, uh, you know, when you have three or four really good teams, um, you know, that you're looking at seeding, of course. So, uh, you know, I think uh, this would be a big chance for Hallettsville to kind of establish itself. Yeah, and you really want to end up on kind of, you know, the top line, getting, you know, because not very many teams, not very many districts have four good teams in there, but they might have two or three. So getting, you know, getting the number one spot versus two or three, you know, for your playoff path could potentially mean a lot. Even if these three teams, it feels like could potentially be very evenly matched. Uh, But it's going to be a really, regardless of what part of our region you live in, it's going to be a really fun night of basketball Friday night. So definitely recommend whatever's close to you getting out to a game. We got a lot of good ones. East and West boys and girls Friday night here in Victoria. We're really looking forward to that. And it's, it's going to be fun to see these teams match up because it, I just feel like each team, the styles are so different each way. So that, you know, what they say styles make fights. And I think we're going to get just some really interesting, intriguing games out on the hardwood this week as we're now in the full, full swing of basketball season. We're, we're at multiple games a week, exciting times here in the crossroads. We're your message from Thriving Financial, and then we're going to go talk about some of our uh, area athletes and what they did in the college football season. You know, Dalton Brooks doing some things in a bowl game for A&M, and Jordan Whittington almost made the play the Longhorn season in the Sugar Bowl, but they fell just short. We'll talk about what's next for him and Jonathan Brooks out there in Austin. Stay tuned. Episode 69 of The Grid. We'll be right back. Thriving is a proud sponsor of The Grid. Thrivent believes money is a tool, not a goal. Thrivent Financial Advisor Carly Herrig works with clients to create financial strategies that reflect their priorities and help them protect the things that matter most, like family and giving back. Carly can be reached at 361-223-7883 or connect.thrivent.com backslash true-path-planning. We are back, episode 69 of The Grid, and we're going to start this last segment talking about the Sugar Bowl, and Mike, we were both watching that one, and I think you and I probably had similar thoughts when Jordan Whittington makes that massive catch in the fourth quarter, like, oh my gosh, Cuero's finest is going to be the hero in this one, and the Longhorns fell just short, and just short of playing a basically a home national championship game out up at NRG Stadium in Houston. Yeah, it turned out to be a lot more exciting than it looked like as, you know, the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, great effort by Texas to try and get back. Of course, uh, you, if you're a Washington fan, you can say that was really stupid clock management, <laughs> and it was. 
But and uh, it made me feel good too from the fact that I voted for Michael Penix, and I think he justified my vote. He earned, I think he earned millions of dollars uh, yeah. in the Sugar Bowl with his performance because he had. I know you because you're a Pac-12 guy, UCLA guy, so you watch a lot of West Coast games. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a football addict, so I watch all the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And I actually think the Pac-12 is the best conference in the country this year. But that's a discussion for a different day, probably not on this podcast, but. Michael Penix, if you watch Washington during the season, he really didn't move around much, run around mm-hmm. much. He was, you know, pure pocket guy. Didn't mm-hmm. really, didn't really do much in mobility or evading the rush. Boy, did he show off that part of his game against the Longhorns. Yeah, he had to. He moved in the pocket. He even ran a couple of times. They, for some key couple games. of like designed option yeah. plays where he and I imagine on the scouting report, Penix is listed as like a non-runner, so yeah. always go with the running back. Well, he gashed him a couple of times. Yeah, and uh, what what amazed me though was his throws downfield. I mean, almost every one of them was right on target and. That one throw, he threw the touchdown in between the two safeties. Right. I mean, they they split them. But, I mean, if that throw isn't right on the money, that ball's probably intercepted. And also, not only right on the money, but the strength on that throw yeah. as well. Because if it's – that's a that was a dart, a frozen yeah. rope. If that ball has any kind of loft or air under it, one of those safeties probably comes in for the interception. Yeah. But it was just a bullet. The one that stands out to me, it wasn't a touchdown, but it was down the sideline to uh-huh. a Dunze. And the Texas corner, I think it was Terrence Brooks on that play – was in perfect coverage and even had his arm in the breadbasket of Adunze to break up the pass. And Penix couldn't have handed it to him any better. And this is 45 yards down the field and just puts it right there on him. And Adunze is one of the best receivers in the country. But that was a perfect throw from Michael Penix. And I think if you're... If you're the Texas defensive coordinator, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, at that point, yeah. you're just like, what the heck do I even do? <laughs> the, my corner played it yeah. perfectly. Perfectly, My rush got there. Our hand was on the ball, and he still just found a way to make the play. And yeah. you're right. You talk about, like, your Heisman vote aging very well. Yeah. That, that it aged it. very well on Monday night. Yeah, and it, it's, it was amazing. I mean, you know, you, you talk about these games, and, uh, you know, sometimes they have a tendency to be blowouts. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the case, obviously, Monday. First, we have an overtime game. In the Rose Bowl. And then we have a game that goes, you know, down to the last play. So, I mean, uh, if you're just a fan of college football, I'm sure you got your money's worth. Uh, even though I have to admit, I'm I'm kind of a Saban fan, and uh, I was shocked. I mean, uh, I have never seen the University of Alabama have so many problems getting lined up on defense. That, to me, was what shocked me. Now, obviously, that last play, that was a horrible call. And, I mean, but that's not really on Saban. That's on their OC. Well, I also saw it because the snap wasn't great on that one. And it was, you know, it throws out the timing of the run when Milrow has to go and field the snap awkwardly. And then a lot of people think it was an RPO. You see, like, the running back motioning out of the backfield. That was a straight run all the way, and I I just do not like that call. I don't understand why you don't get Melrose out on the edge on that type of play. But anyways, what you know, on that fourth down play for Michigan in three, that was a complete bust by Alabama. They had no one on that receiver. Well, so that's – we're going to get a little technical here because I'm a nerd about this stuff. The um, so that's a concept that a lot of teams have been running. It's like RB mesh, where yeah. you kind and actually, 
I'm shouting out Courtney Boyce because he did this in West playoff game against Miller, and it was on a fourth and short situation for a conversion where you do a lot of pre-snap motion and you move guys inside, and at the last second, you switch the running back from one side to the other and then just snap the ball, and you run the running back out in the flat, and West hit Kamari Montgomery for like a 10-yard gain on a fourth and two to keep a drive alive, and now... For Michigan, that play went for like 30 yards. But what it does, so you have all that pre-snap motion, and when you shift the running back to the other side, it forces the linebackers to have to shift their assignments. So you mentioned it being a coverage bus. The linebackers had to, like, within a second, like, communicate the assignment shift, and they just, with all the other motion, just didn't do so. So that's what the bus was. So that's just – I saw – I. Uh, when Victoria West did that, when I talked to Boyce the next week, I kind of gave him a little shout out. Like, man, that was a, yeah. I love that play design. And that's what Michigan did yeah. in that big spot right there. But yeah, but, uh, you know, Jordan had a really good game for his last game. That catch was spectacular. Uh, really put him I in thought a he position. was going to be the hero after yeah, that one. Put him in a position to win the game. And then, of course, uh, you know, it was disappointing, obviously, that Jonathan Brooks couldn't play. Uh, the running backs did a good job, except each one of them fumbled, and, and that was costly. And that's and that's thing, like, man, if you know, if Jonathan Brooks is in the game, I don't think he fumbled all year. It's like, does well, he fu- one time against if, Oklahoma? Oh yeah, but it's like, does he fumble though? You know, yeah. does he fumble those? Op- and both those running backs, Baxter and Blue, are freshmen. But Whittington, I have a prediction for Jordan Whittington, Mike. That, yeah. So he's. One, actually, I love the video he put up today. I didn't play at Texas. I played for Texas. That was that was a great line for from him. But he was a guy who at the University of Texas was such like so highly regarded, like as a teammate, as a leader. All the you know all the coaches over there loved him. And one of the things they talked about was like how good of a blocker he was yeah. at wide receiver. That like, and that's an unselfish thing for a receiver. Mm-hmm. And in that. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay scheme, mm-hmm. they value receivers who can block. Oh, yeah. So I think Whittington, whether it's a, as, as a day three draft pick or as an undrafted free agent, he's going to make his way onto the team for a San Francisco or Miami or Cincinnati. Zach Taylor runs that scheme. The Rams, one of those teams who runs that Shanahan McVay offense, they're going to value his blocking. And obviously, he's a really good athlete, a five star coming out of high school. He's going to make the NFL in one of those teams because they're going to see value in that. So that's my Jordan Whittington prediction for his future. I think he's going to, I think he's going to find his way onto an NFL roster for one of those Shanahan offenses because they're the Texans run that too with Bobby Slowick. So that that's what I'm looking for for Jordan Whittington. I'm very curious to see his pre-draft process and now he's getting ready to go compete in the Senior Bowl. Yeah, that'll be a big thing for him. The scouts will get to take, take it, you know, give him a chance to look at Jordan. Uh, I think the other thing is, you know, uh, he can return kicks too, mm-hmm. which they they actually had him back there. Uh, and at the bit. end of the game yeah, on Monday, so uh, that's that's another thing. He's very versatile, and you know, really, uh, the his biggest play of the year might have been the when he came back on that uh, interception or fumble and on the K State player yeah. and knocked the ball out of his hand. I. If he don't make that play, they'd lose that game. Right. And uh, that was huge. And, I mean, that just shows you the kind of player he is. Yeah, and he's someone – he didn't get a a ton of touches this year. But, again, like Xavier Worthy's awesome. A.D. Mitchell's probably a first-round pick. Jatavian Sanders is 
the, probably the number two tight end in this draft. Jonathan Brooks was having an outstanding season. And you have Baxter and Blue who really stepped up late. So it wasn't like, oh, Whittington's just not very good and didn't get the touches. Like you look at what was around him. Yeah, those guys are going to get the touches, the touches that they got. And there's only one football and you only mm-hmm. run 60 to 70 plays in a game. So I'm, I think Whittington's going to find his way on an NFL roster. And maybe that's just wishful thinking for me because I want to see more guys in this area in the NFL. But I think, I think he has a skill set that NFL – that's NFL teams and a specific NFL scheme that is very popular value. So I'm, I'm excited to see Whittington's future. Let's go to the other side of this Texas rivalry over at Texas A&M. Ruben Owens and Dalton Brooks. Uh, Dalton Brooks making an impact in the bowl game, getting an interception. And he's someone who I think Mike Elko coming in. Dalton Brooks was a kind of a late enrollee at A&M. He didn't, he didn't enroll early the way Ruben Owens did. I think Dalton Brooks is a guy to watch out for next season as a potential impact player in Mike Elko's defense. Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, you talk about all those guys that opted out of that bowl game or transfer portal, and he gave some other guys opportunities, and Dalton was one of them. And uh, he stepped up with that interception. He also had quite a few tackles, I believe, in that game. And Ruben got a little bit of a chance to showcase himself, too, and, uh, you know, I kind of got the feeling when earlier in the year when uh, Jimbo was there and things weren't going so well, that Ruben wasn't very happy. Uh, but I think now with the new coaching change, the new regime coming in, these new coaches coming in, I think a lot of these guys you're going to see, you know, that I think they'll be a lot happier. And that, you know, that bodes well because that's what you want. You want the atmosphere to be a culture, the winning type of atmosphere. Well, and Ruben Owens is someone who, you know, five-star recruit out of high school. He he did get some playing time this year as a freshman. It would have been very easy for him to enter the portal, and he would have found a home very, very quickly had he had he chosen to do so. The fact that he didn't enter the portal and stay at A&M, tells me that him and Mike Elko or him and the offensive staff had a conversation and he feels good about what his role and his usage is going to be next season. So that, you know, just kind of reading the tea leaves there. The fact that Ruben Owen stayed at A&M when he could have, you know, if he yeah. entered the portal, he would have had no, he would have found a home in an instant. It is, this was yeah. not someone who wouldn't have found a home. So I think he, that tells me he's excited about the potential role he's going to be playing in the Aggies offense next season. I'm, you know, I think Brooks and Owens, and there are a couple guys you spotlighted in our, in the football preview before the 2022 season, they were on the cover of it. I think there are a couple of guys who can be major impact players for the Aggies and Elko's first year. Yeah. And then of course you got to remember the running backs coach is Trooper Taylor. He's coming in from Duke. Uh, he's, of course, people, a lot of people around here remember he's from Quayle, was a member of their 1987 state championship team. And uh, Trooper's a high-energy, motivating type of coach. And I think that'll be good because uh, one thing I remember about Ruben when he was in high school, um, you know, Coach Worrell, uh, they always told me when they would talk about Ruben, they'd talk about how unselfish he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, you know, that that's not a necessarily a given for a running back because, hey, they want the ball. Especially you, someone as highly touted yeah, as he is. They want the ball. But, uh, you know, Ruben, I remember uh, one game after they beat Bay City, he said, you know, he got a pass for a touchdown. He said, hey, I just want to do whatever it's necessary to win. And uh, that'll be good. I think it's going to be good for them. We'll see how 
you know, Elko does yeah. once things get going. It's not always easy in your yeah. first year to come in and right away get things yeah. going. But uh, well, he was a defensive coordinator there yeah. just two years ago, oh, yeah. so I, this he isn't a lot this isn't guys. a and he probably recruited a lot of these yeah. kids. So this isn't a traditional like new guy, new stop, get the lay of the land. Like I think Elko has a good feel for one what the A and M job is, and then two what the roster is, who these players are. Right, yeah, and uh, so we'll we'll this is going to be interesting. Of course, like you said, we're we're going to have the A uh, and M Texas game back, so that that'll be interesting. Hey, I'm I'm excited for the potential. Hey, can you imagine just the running back matchup next year potentially being Ruben Owens <laughs> and Jonathan Brooks, or you know Dalton Brooks meeting Jonathan Brooks in the hole potentially, or in a one on one open field situation? That's got to that gets us excited down here. Yeah, we got two cousins here on opposite sides of the ball. Are they are they cousins? Yeah, they're cousins. So that would be uh, that would be very interesting. Well, I guess yeah, Shiner and Hallisville yeah. are basically next door neighbors. Yeah, the cousins be uh, be playing against each other. Oh, I'm sh- I'm sure the family group chat will be going crazy during uh, yeah. di- during that one. But that you know again between you know Ruben Owens and Dalton Brooks, potentially Jonathan Brooks as well. Carlon Jones going to SC. I think yeah. Joseph Dodds is going to get a real chance to play over at Baylor next year. It's going to be some fun. You know, I think we're going to have some action here in the crossroads for some of our athletes in the college season in 2024. Yeah, it it should be. Let's hope so anyways. Yeah, let's hope so. But that's just about going to do it for us on this week's episode of The Grid. Before we get out of here, I am setting a deadline for all area volleyball. All nominations must be in by January 10th. We're getting moving on that. That's six days from when we're recording this podcast. We've gotten about 90%. We've gotten about 90% of what we need in. So, coaches, I'm going to send out one last reminder, but get those all-area volleyball nominations in. We want to recognize your great athletes. Mike, I don't know if you're ready to do that for football quite lit. Put, uh, put a I, deadline on I'm it. I'm not quite ready, although I, I will say this. I've gotten some this week. I realized that a lot of coaches were gone for the holiday. We're, but uh, if you have not got your nominations and get it in ASAP because we don't want to leave guys out. No. And remember, we told you this. Anybody you nominate will get at least honorable mention. And same goes for volleyball as well. And so if you want your kids recognized, please, please send us your nominations. Yes, and I'll say this for the coaches because these last, like, eight to ten days, they've done a really good job of sending those to us. We've gotten a lot of them, and we want more. Yeah, we, we want every school that we cover, we would like an, at least one nomination from. That way, you know, everybody is recognized. Yeah, so we, you know, they've been coming in, coaches, good job. But if you haven't sent them in yet, please send those in. But on that note, that just about does it for this week's episode of The Grid, episode 69. For Mike Foreman, I'm Gabe Myers, and we'll see you back here next week.